Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Studying prophecy is like many other things. The more you do something, usually, the better you become at that. And the same is true with prophecy. The more you study prophecy, the better you are going to become in discerning God's message, his prophetic truth to his people. One of the things that people who study prophecy quickly learn is that prophecy, most prophecy in the scripture, is poetic. And therefore, to understand it, one must apply the laws of Hebrew poetry to prophecy in order to rightly understand what is being said. Now, there's another important aspect of prophecy, and that is that in prophecy, we see that things are repeated in order for us to have a right understanding. For example, we are studying the prophecy of Isaiah, and we've come across that term, the suffering servant. And I've made mention that some will say that suffering servant is Israel, the Jewish people. And others will say it's Messiah. And what's the right answer? At times, both are called that suffering servant. And this is to show something that's very profound and very important in the scripture. And that is that close relationship, that unity between Messiah and Israel. Messiah is the king of Israel. Therefore, this connection is, is impossible to break. Now, we also see something else. Not only do we come across that suffering servant, but also in the book of Isaiah, we have that term Zeroah Hashem, which means the arm of the Lord. Now, I mentioned that this term Zeroah, referring to the arm, the upper portion of the arm, which is a sacrificial part of an animal, that, that first part of, of the first quarter of the animal, not the hind quarter, but the, the front quarter, is sacrificial. The, the chief part that is sacrifice unto God. And that foreshadows that this arm of the Lord, this descendant, is, is going to be sacrificed. It foreshadows his death, his sacrificial death on Passover. We may mention that that same term is used for the Passover lamb during the Passover Seder. So Zeroah Adonai, the arm of the Lord, is a very important term, referring to the sacrificial son of, of God. So we have this term, and it can also, Zeroah Adonai can also be used, as we're going to see in our study in this text today, can be applied to Israel, the Jewish people.
And failure to know this is going to bring about confusion. Now, let me give you an example how the same term can be applied to two different applications. For example, in the book of Hosea, we see that in chapter 11, we are told that out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, who's the son? Well, in one context, it's speaking about the exodus from Egypt. Once more, Israel being brought out of Egypt through redemption. But we see in, in the gospel that verse is also used and applied to Messiah. We know that he and his parents, his mother and his legal father, not biological father, but Joseph, Joseph and Miriam went down with Yeshua when he was very young to Egypt. And from there, God called him into the land to do that work of redemption, to serve God the Father. So we see that same verse having a dual application as the term the suffering servant and as the term Zeroah Hashem, the arm of the Lord, or the offspring, the son of the Lord. So we need to remember that because that term, the arm of the Lord, is going to be appearing in our study in the second part of chapter 51 of the book of Isaiah. So look there with me, Isaiah chapter 51, and we're going to begin where we left off last week in verse 9. Now the Hebrew is poetic, and it is difficult to understand. And it's very important that we go through it very carefully, thoroughly, and slowly. Verse 9, we read, Awake, awake. Now, this term implies a change. Some will say it will even apply to a transformation of, of the subject. So we read in verse 9, Awake, awake, and then here's the change. Put on or clothe yourself, and the word here is oz, which is power or strength. Now, who's the subject? Well, if we keep reading, we have that expression, Zeroah Hashem, the arm or the offspring, the male offspring of, of God, a reference to oftentimes Messiah. But here it's interesting because it's in the feminine. Why is that important? Because this tells us clearly that we're speaking about Israel, God's covenant people, and it foreshadows a change that's coming to Israel, a wonderful, a righteous, a kingdom change. Now remember, if we wanted to summarize chapter 51 in just a general sense, in fact, my Bible does. It's not scripture. It's over chapter 51, but the, the, the editor put in Hebrew, which means words of comfort, abundant comfort to Zion. Zion is a kingdom term. So we see in this 54th chapter words that bring about a kingdom change, a comforting to God's people, to God himself, that his purposes, his plans, his will are going to be fulfilled. 
everything's going to be brought into the will of God. We've talked about the importance of that word, Nahum, as it's oftentimes uh, written, referring to the comfort, as we talked about the, the comfort of the Lord, or that, that village in the Galilee, Capernaum, Capernaum, which speaks about the village of comfort where Messiah began and served those three years of his ministry. This was his ministry headquarters. So a very important term. Look again at verse 9. Wake up, wake up, clothed in power, O arm of the Lord. And again it says, wake up as in the days of old. So we're referring to here, not Messiah, but Israel. And God remembers Israel in a covenant relationship, being faithful. But, but this has changed. Israel has fallen into faithlessness, into idolatry. We've talked about how there is that, that prophetic message to Israel that they're going to go into Babylon, into exile. But once again, we have a promise from God that that exile is not eternal, that not all has been lost, but we should expect this comfort, this comfort that renews and restores God's purposes, plans, His will to His people. And therefore, we read about these dorot, What's this? Eternal generations. And this is speaking about the kingdom, a, a change that's coming that's going to be permanent. It is going to have an eternal outcome. There's going to be an eternal condition that happens to God's people. And it says, surely you, and it's speaking in the feminine for God's people, Surely you are, are he that does what? The one that, that, that hews out Rahav. Now, Rahav, we're not speaking about Rahav in the book of Joshua, but most scholars, both Christian and, and Jewish, see this term as referring to Egypt. And what it speaks about is how Israel was hewed out, brought out, taken out of the world out of Egypt and therefore we see as we keep reading also the fact that that God wounded using Israel did something for the sake of Israel it says that this this one this serpent and it's a term referring to Satan that he was bruised that he was literally we could understand it as profaned meaning Israel is going to be righteous, but Satan is going to be seen as profane, unholy, and we're going to see the consequences of this. So in the first part of this verse, we see God moving in the, the spiritual condition of Israel to bring about a change. Using, now we can see using or we could understand it as for the sake of, God moving for the sake of, of His people. That, that His will would not be ended, it would not go unfulfilled, but 
it's going to take place. Look now to verse, verse 10. Surely you are he that, that did something, that dried up the sea. Now, was it Israel that dried up the sea? No, God did that. He did that for the sake of Israel. So when we look at this passage, we see God moving for the purpose of Israel to bring about the fulfillment of God's covenantal promises to his people. So you are he that, that dried up the sea and the deep waters, the very deep waters, the abundant deep waters, it says you place the deep, the depths of the sea for what? For a way to pass over who? For the way for the redeemed of the Lord, it simply says the redeemed, and it's in the plural, to pass over. So all of this is being done by God for the sake of of his covenant people redeeming them bringing them out of egypt putting god's judgment upon israel manifesting his power this is what we see in verses 9 and 10. now let's look at verse 11. now we have a different word for redeemed at the end of verse 10 we have the word geluim for those who have been redeemed but now we have a different word still translated ought to be translated the same way but this speaks about the payment for those to be redeemed those who were were blessed by God's payment for redemption and we have the redeemed ones of the Lord they shall return now this foreshadows this this ultimate repentance that God is going to bring about among Israel all of Israel those who are redeemed it's going to be a remnant we know this from other prophetic passages but here God is speaking in general terms that there's going to be redemption that God is going to redeem he's going to make the payment and there's going to be the redeemed ones of the Lord that are going to return and they will come notice what the scriptures say they will come Zion. Now the implication is they will come to Zion with a shout, and this is a shout of joy with eternal gladness upon their heads. Joy and gladness they will, will obtain. And as they're experiencing this joy and gladness, it says this, this uh, uh, harshness, this, this un- unpleasant experience and groaning this will will be removed it will pass away it's going to literally it's word for being made to retreat it's going to go away so all of this is God's work remember the context God is being referred to here in the feminine why when feminine is the grammatical language that characteristic appears in the language it gives the passage that of redemption and we're seeing two major words for redemption in this passage now look at verse 12. he says i i am he your comforter the one who comforts you 
Now here, anochi, for the word I, is in the masculine. So there's a change here speaking clearly of God, not doing something for Israel, although he's comforting Israel, but he's doing it. So the grammatical construction is a little bit different because earlier we saw the work of God, but God being spoken of in the feminine, this work, in order to bless Israel for the sake of Israel. But now God is being revealed in the masculine, and it says here, I, I am he who comforts you. And therefore, he speaks about Israel and the feminine and says, who are you? Meaning, why? Would, would you be fearful? It says, why? Who are you that you shall be afraid of the death of man? Now, here he's speaking about, in poetic terms, don't be afraid of death. Why? Kingdom. And there's an inherent relationship between kingdom and resurrection. So what the prophet is saying here is, you, the people of God, you do not need to be afraid of death. Death is not an obstacle or problem for the people of God. Because what is man's death? Well, it just, just brings a, an ending to that natural existence. It's no different, keep reading it says, or the son, don't be afraid of the son of man, meaning a human being. Don't be afraid of a human being, for, for he is, is made, he is set as, as grass. What happens to grass in the field? Looks pretty one day, a couple days later or a week, not much time at all, and that grass becomes brittle it becomes brown and it's no more its splendor leaves well in that same way the physical is going to pass and with this end of this world there's going to be a change a marvelous change and it's only the redeemed of the lord that are going to experience this change and as we saw earlier it's going to be an eternal change. Remember what he says earlier on in verse 9, Dorot Olamim, these generations of eternity. We don't look for the temporal. We emphasize the eternal. Now look at verse, verse 13. Again, we're speaking about Israel. and What's Israel's problem? It says, and you forgot the Lord, your maker. That's the problem. Israel forgot God, didn't emphasize him, didn't make decisions with him in mind. They forgot, so he says, for you have forgotten the Lord, your maker. But pay attention to once more the poetic language. Now here we're going to see the language that relates to creation. What's written down here? It says, you have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretches forth the heavens and establish the earth. All of this is speaking about creation, but the emphasis, remember we had that word Zion, Zion. I shared with you, Zion is a kingdom word, and therefore 
frequently among the prophets. They speak of the kingdom as a creation, a new creation, or the second creation. So we can look back at the first creation and say, God did this. Therefore, because God created the heavens and the earth, He founded the world. He organized things. Because God was able to do the first creation, we should have absolute trust and faith that He will bring about, that He will create the kingdom of God. And that creating of the kingdom of God, poetic language, the kingdom is. It's called the kingdom of heaven. But it's going to be brought to earth and God is able to do that. He says, look at the second part of verse 13. And you have been afraid always, all day long, because of the wrath of the oppressor. Now, what God is speaking about here through the prophet Isaiah is that that the children of Israel have put the wrong priority upon this world and the one who can oppress in this world. The oppressor is temporary. And all the time he's saying, Israel, and we can make this personal, my people, you and me, we tend to put more of a priority on the things of this world, on the things that can cause us a temporal discomfort, sadness, that which may discourage us or harm us or injure us. All of this comes from a, an oppressor, a physical oppression. Now, the source of it might be spiritual, meaning the enemy, Satan, but it is temporal. There is nothing eternal concerning the work of Satan. He is limited. His work is going to pass. It's going to be taken and cast into eternal punishment. His punishment is eternal, but what he does is is temporal. It is limited. So the problem is this. He says, you have been afraid continuously all day long because of the, the anger of the oppressor. As just as he prepares for destruction. Now that's what he does. He works destruction. But it says in the end, look at the end of verse 13. Ve'aye chamat ha-masik, which means, and where is the anger of the oppressor? Meaning, it's going to be seen in the future. With a kingdom establishment, his anger, his threats, his activity, where, where are they? They're not going to have any connection to us. He is going to be defeated, done away with, and sent away for eternity eventually. He's not going to have any connection to the kingdom things. So we ought not give priority to him and what he's up to. We need to be committed to the things of God. Look now to verse 14. Now, 14, a verse of of significance, but the language is is difficult. First of all, we have the word for, for fast or quickly. So it says quickly, and then we have the word soe. Soe, we're talking about one that, that's moved from here to there. Something that, that is, is replaced. And the image here is this. 
God has allowed, it's part of his punishment, he's allowed the, the enemy to come and place Israel in exile. But what he's saying here, look carefully at verse, verse 14. For quickly, this one who is in exile, he is going to be opened up, meaning he's going to be released. There is coming an opening. And that's literally what it says here, the word for opening up. So he's been in bondage. He's been oppressed. He's where he ought not be in exile. God's going to use that. That punishment is going to make a change upon the people of God. But there's a release company, an opening that's going to take place. And it says, middle of verse 14, And he will not die in the pit. And no, nor will he lack his bread. Meaning this, there's a change coming. No longer in exile are you going to be in want, that you're going to lack. There's time coming. What he's saying is this, death is not going to visit you, neither is a shortage, a lacking. But you're going to have life and you're going to have abundance. He puts the negative upon those negative things of death and lacking provision. God says all of that's coming to an end and it's going to happen quickly. Now, not quickly in the days of Isaiah, but again, this prophecy has end times implications to it. Now let's look, if you would, to verse 15. He says again, I, using that term, Anochi, and I, the Lord your God, what does he do? He, he relaxes the sea. God's able to do that. There can be a storm, as we see with Messiah himself, he can calm the waters. That's what we see here in the image of God. But also this same God who can calm the waters, he can also, he can also make the sea, and here we're speaking specifically about waves, waves uh, very noisy we might use the term the waves his waves to roar and who is this one the lord of hosts is his name so in this this passage we see that god is manifesting himself as one who is able able to do all things quiet the sea make the sea roar god can bring change put you into exile and he can bring you out through redemption so god is able to do all things look at verse verse 16 now in order for there to be that change we need to be people that that receive the word of god look at verse 16 he says and i have placed my words in your mouth now, this is simply an idiom for receiving them. And not just receiving them, but, but speaking them, which is an act of faith. Now, notice it's God's words, not what I declare, not what I want, but what God has revealed. I need to speak truth, in other words. Verse 16. And I have placed my words in your mouth and in the shadow of my hand 
I have, have concealed you, covered you. It's a term of, of protection. And where ultimately is this protection experienced? Well, this protection is going to lead us, notice what he says, to stretch forth the heavens and to establish the earth and to say to Zion, my people are you. Now, this protection, this, this word of, of, of promise, it all has its fulfillment in what? Well, he uses again this word, these language of, of creation for, for stretching forth the heavens and establishing the earth. Creation. He's speaking about the kingdom, establishing the kingdom, that second creation. So the promise is this. Don't look for things in this world. This is what those who want to exploit God's grace and, and want to, to manipulate individuals. They always want to emphasize God and his activity in this world. What we see prophetically is God promising things, wonderful things, but the fulfillment and the experience of them ultimately is in the state of his kingdom, being in his kingdom. We want it now. God says, now you may go through difficult times, difficult experiences but in the end you know that the kingdom's coming this is what he's promising say to zion zion that kingdom term and the inhabitants of the kingdom my people are you verse 17 again he uses this this expression of waking up but there's a difference go back if you would to verse 9 verse 9 we see the term Uri, Uri, meaning wake up, it's in the feminine. But if you look here in verse 17, now it's still in the feminine, but it is wake yourself up, meaning God has already enabled this. He has done the work. You can experience that kingdom power, that kingdom reality, even now through faith. So he says, not wake up, but wake yourselves up, wake yourselves up, rise up, O Jerusalem, whom you have drank from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath. Now, God is speaking about what has happened. God has disciplined his people. Remember Jerusalem? It's, it's prophetic Jerusalem going to be destroyed the people are going to go into that Babylonian captivity we can even see it later on as the Roman captivity where Jerusalem once more in the temple was destroyed but the purpose of of exile is to prepare the people for redemption now exile is used by God now among the the rabbis they will tell you that that exile only happens because it's a necessary necessary step in redemption i disagree with that see god does not need us to disobey him and fall into exile better yet we obey god it was not god's plan from the beginning he knew it it didn't surprise him 
But God does not say that exile is a necessary part of the process. It doesn't have to be. It, it was because of our rebellion. But we don't have to rebel. We can embrace truth and be righteous through the work of Messiah. We don't have to experience this, this exile. It's not God's will. He used it. He allowed it for that necessary change. But God's will does not need sin and disobedience. And that's what, what exile is based in, sin and disobedience. So he says here now to Jerusalem, look again at verse 17. Awaken yourselves, awaken yourselves, rise up Jerusalem. Whom, and he's speaking about in the past, who has drank from the hand of the Lord the cup of, of his anger, his, his wrath, and also the dregs of the cup of, and this is a word, some will say reeling, but it's a word for poison, drink poison. God sometimes gives us a, a bitter cup to drink down. We have to know firsthand because of our stubbornness, because of our unwillingness to repent, our unwillingness to take God's truth and apply it to our life. Because of that, God says, now you're going to drink that, that bitter cup, that cup of reeling. This is what he's speaking about in this passage of Scripture. And he says that you're going to drink the dregs, which means the very end, all of it, the very bottom of the cup. He says, you will drink and, he has the word matzit, which is, is for, for sipping the very end, sucking the very, very end of this punishment. And what God is saying here is the punishment can end. There didn't have to be the, the Roman exile. It could have stopped with the Babylonian exile and the people after 70 years returned back to the land for the first coming of Messiah. They should have been ready. They should have been expecting. They should have responded in faith. This is what Messiah wanted to do. Remember what he says at the end of Matthew 23, how he laments and, and weeps over Jerusalem. He says, how I wanted to gather you up like a mother hen gathers up her chicks. What's the problem? You were not willing. Rebelliousness, sin. Things could have been different. Likewise, even on Mount Sinai, God wanted to do a great change for his people to bring them into a new reality, a new condition where they would know God's will and they would not be able to sin. But what happened? The people stood at a distance. They rejected what God wanted to do. And this is what he's saying. But the good news, what's being foreshadowed here is that that rebelliousness is going to be brought to an end. Look at verse 18. Now he's reminding the people of the problem, what it was. He says, verse 18, she does not have, literally, menahel, she does not have a manager. Now, I believe some Bibles will say a guide, not literally the word for guide, but the word for a manager from all of her sons that she has born, meaning this, among the people, there is not raised up one who wants to manage 
administrate the truth of God among, among his people. Likewise, he goes on to say, there is no one to hold, hold her in the hand from all of her sons that she, she raised up. So there's no one to hold her, meaning there's no one. And the term for holding, meaning it comes from the word to make strong, to give stability. There's no manager, there's none to give stability to, to Israel from all of the ones that have been born by her, meaning belonging to Israel. Verse 19. So what's going to happen? He says, two things. Now that's how verse 19 begins with the word shtaim, two things. He says, behold, I will cause you to experience cause to happen to you and what are these two things what well, says who is going to bemoan you now this word has to do with someone feeling grief over all the suffering that israel has experienced there's not going to be among the nations anyone who's grieved about that who's going to do anything in order to bring about change for Israel uh, uh, or lessen her her experience so there's no one's going to be moan that's the first thing what's the second thing this is what she's going to be experiencing in the midst of the first word is hashod now this comes from a word for for being something being taken away removed something which is stolen now it can have a poetic expression as destruction losing something something being taken away that changes the the condition then it says the word for destruction so two thoughts of destruction and then the famine and the sword and he says who is it that I'm going to comfort you? Who's going to bring about me comforting you? And the answer is, there is no one among the children of Israel in their, their presence. Now, this is all foreshadowing something that Isaiah is going to tell us later on in Isaiah chapter 63 when God says, I looked for someone to help and there was none. And who's going to then do it? It says, God himself. The arm, remember that term Zeroah, that can refer to a offspring, a descendant. If it's in the masculine, a son. So the son of the Lord, it's oftentimes spoken of the arm of the Lord, but we can understand it as the son of the Lord. He's going to be the one because there's no one else. He's going to bring that comfort. Verse Verse 20, before that happens, Israel is going to go through another difficult time. This is what this chapter ends with. Look at verse 20. He says, your sons will faint. They will be, and the implication is, they will lay down, but it's, they're going to be made to lay down. They will lay down at the heads of, of all the streets meaning these thoroughfares they're going to be laid out 
Now, many see this as, as an expression of death, that there's going to be a great loss of life before this final redemption comes about. Look at verse 20. Your sons will faint. They will lie down at the head intersections of the streets. They are going to be like an antelope that is caught in the net. And they are going to experience the fullness of the, the anger or the wrath of the Lord, the rebuking of your God. Now, what is this referring to? Well, here again, the scholars are not in disagreement. They have unity. This is speaking about Etzerachile Yaakov, which means a time of trouble. This is speaking about the, the trouble or the tribulation that's coming upon Jacob when in the last half of Daniel's final week, that 70th week, those final seven years, the last part of that, the last three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days. This is what verse 20 is speaking about. This time of destruction and hardship and famine and sword, of, of being humiliated, and this is all being brought about by the rebuke of, of your God. Verse 21. Therefore, hear please this, O afflicted one. So he's speaking about and calling to his people in this state of affliction. He says, the drunken one, but not from wine. Now, being drunken oftentimes means to be confused, to not being able to function properly. And he says, you're drunk, but not of wine. What has caused them to be in this state of intoxication? Sin. And the punishment of sin. It has moved them away from where they should be. But again, what is this prophecy about? God bringing about restoration. His comfort that's going to be extended to the people through, ultimately, the final work of Messiah. Verse 22. Thus said your master, the Lord, and your God. Now, it's interesting because we have the term for Lord Adonai and also the term Yudhe-Vavhe that's oftentimes enunciated as, as Adonai, but it's two different words. And then we have your God. What is the Lord, your master, your God going to do? Yeriv Amo. Now, this oftentimes is translated as to contend or to plead the case, meaning that God is going to plead and contend for a different outcome for his covenant people. This is another expression poetically of this change that is coming to Israel in the last days. So you will contend for his people, meaning he will contend for his people. Behold, I have taken you from your hand. I have taken let me translate this right. I have taken from your hand the coast of reeling, meaning coast, the cup. I want to say it in English, not in Hebrew. The, the cup 
of reeling this this cup that brought about poison and the dregs of the of the cup of my anger my wrath i will not add or i will not cause you to drink of it any more what is god going to do we'll now look at our last verse verse 23 he says here verse 23 I will set her, meaning Israel, his people, I will set her into the hands of of the one that brought her fear and trembling, which said to your flesh, lie down, said to your your soul, I want to get this right, who said to your, your very essence, your soul, lie down and we will walk over you. The one who did what? The one who who sets you as ground and your back as the street, meaning placed your back upon the street once more so that they could, could pass over. So God is going to speak to the one who terrorized Israel, who humiliated Israel, who put her back to the street. He's going to respond. How is he going to do that? Well, that's what we're going to see in the weeks to come. This wonderful change that God has promised, a kingdom change, how that is going to be brought about through the work of God. And we know who's going to ultimately do this work of God. It is going to be Zeroah Hashem, the arm, the offspring of God, the son of God, Messiah. So this is the foundation that that the prophet's laying for you and me, the reader, to see how these promises are going to be carried out by what means, by who, and what we should expect to take place. Well, I'll close with that until next week, and we enter into a very marvelous chapter, chapter 52. Until then, shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel.